Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 298, David Wellington and Positive. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen and Christy Cherish. So finally, Christy and I are together where we can do this whole thing in one take, which is awesome. Woohoo! <laughs> Today we are going to be joined by horror, fantasy, and thriller author David Wellington to hear about his zombie novel, Positive. Timothy C. Ward returns and joins us. The prodigal son returns for the interview. So it was good to have Tim back on the show talking with David. And Tim just, uh, you can't say adored a zombie novel, but Tim was, was a huge fan. He exclaimed several times, I think, throughout the course of the interview, how big of a fan he was of David Wellington. And I already, uh, in listening to the interview, I already was so excited about one component of the interview, I let it leak and uh, shared it on Twitter. So folks really need to check out, even if you don't make the interview, which shame on you, if you don't make the interview, the one thing you need to check out is David Wellington's Fear Project, because it's wicked cool. It's a big, it's like the voice or face-off if you watch those reality TV shows meets horror storytelling where they're voting an author or a horror author off the island every week on Wellington's Fear <laughs> Project. So it's it's very cool. Every week you're getting uh, multiple new horror stories. So um, definitely want to listen to the interview we have coming up. But before we get into that interview, Christy and I are here to chat about a few things um, that we've seen go on this week, one of which will be a little conversation about Promotion or self-promotion, we know we have a lot of aspiring writers or authors that listen to the show, and we want to make sure we get you guys directed in the right way to engaging with us. We have some award happenings that have been taking place and some future guests that are going to be joining the show who will properly launch some of our new endeavors. So, Oh, yes. Yes. You want to start with the promotion piece first, Christy? We can get that out of the way. Yeah, sure. Let's start with the promotion piece. <laughs> okay. And What, what I, do we want to say about promotion? Self-promotion? <laughs> well, I think the, one of the big things around self-promotion that we wanted to chat about was with us being on multiple social media venues. I mean, even before you and I got on to have this conversation, we were talking about our Goodreads accounts. Yes. And some of our predecessors were really good about setting up some different venues to engage with us, you know, our Facebook page. You and I are very active on Twitter, and some of this is a matter of preference between you and me versus some of our predecessors. And then, you know, we've got our email, and people can engage us on the site as well. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I would tell people that if they're an aspiring, because we saw some things happen this week on our Facebook page around, uh, you know, Robert Junker, who's a contributor to the site, does a weekly new releases list of books. And that weekly new new releases list of books, if people aren't familiar, is indie 
or self-publishing friendly, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as traditionally uh, publisher friendly. And we had a situation this week where an individual, you know, liked our Facebook page, and that's awesome. We want you to do that. And then saw our new new release book list and then jumped on and started leaving comments about, well, I've got a release as well. And I would probably tell folks that are listening that are have works that they want us to share. That's probably not the best venue to do that because that ends up starting to to fester pretty quickly where everybody's using that mechanism. And yeah, and it gets flooded fast. Yeah. And starts to look very spam like, right? Yeah. (laughs) And in some respects can also start to hurt, hurt the algorithms with us and Facebook a little bit, which is not what we want. What I would tell everybody in, And I would say, I need to talk to Robert about this a little bit because I want to make sure people are comfortable with me sharing his direct contact information. But I will tell you, if you email the show's account, so adventures in sci-fi publishing at gmail.com, and I'm very active. I'm on it every night. Uh, Christy also has access to that. And yeah. if, if we see something that's a new release, we pass that on to Robert. And then Robert compiles that in the list. So that's probably the best way to engage us. Any any other thoughts you have about uh, promotion and how we can help authors, Christy? Yeah. I know. I, I, I think sending, like emailing the show account is the best way to get in touch with us, I think, for that sort of thing. And especially if they write new release in capital letters in front, like in the title um, or the subject line, then that's, then we know what, what we're being sent. Um, it's funny with Twitter and Facebook and, and social media in general, because on one hand, everybody, like, I mean, on one hand, the biggest challenge now for any new author, even if you're traditionally published, it's not self-pubbed, you know, exclusive, yeah. is signal to noise and trying to get anyone to look at your, um, you know, to look at your book or, or just get people to know your book's actually out there. So, Twitter and, and things like that are fantastic for that venue. But the problem is, is that when, um, so for example, like with, with our show Facebook page, when people start leaving sort of, you know, self-promotion type type posts, even even professional ones, you know, um, uh, it, it then becomes, I, I, as you said, the one thing is the algorithms, but then the other problem is it just, it becomes uh, the use, the use of that post is more just to engage and talk about, writing in general and, you know, new releases and whatever's going on in the show. But when it starts turning into a self-promotion thing, it actually takes over the control of, or takes over what the post is originally supposed to be about. And yes, it can mess up the uh, Facebook algorithms. So, and, and as well too, you know, I think it's, it's hard because it's, you want to get your stuff out there and you want people to know that you've got a book coming out because how else are, you know, it's, it's, you, you know, it's hard to get, um, you know, it's hard, you're trying to get traction. So, but it's funny, there's almost this like thing that people will do in their mental, and I do this all the time, I'll be looking at something and there are certain kinds of posts that my brain turns off. And it's just, it's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with the post. There's nothing wrong with the, you know, with what what they've said, you know, it's like, hey, I've got a book coming out or I've got this new product or, you know, check out my indie game or, but just my brain turns off. And I think it's this thing where, a lot of people don't like to be sold something when they're necessarily looking on social media. So it's, it's, it's that funny line of even if you're, there are certain places where you don't, you're not looking to shop 
And if something pops up that almost feels like a bit of an ad, it, it, I don't know, it just turns my brain off. Some of those kinds of posts almost do the book more damage than they do good or, or can do more damage because it's, it's not where people, when people are looking at those posts, they're not looking for about a book or something or looking for necessarily uh, to find, find a new, new, um, not, they're not necessarily there going there to pick up a new reader or, or, you know, find a new book, book or to buy something. But having said that, I think what we should do is put together a forum or something somewhere, maybe on Goodreads, where authors um, who follow the show can post uh, books that they've got coming out, um, especially indie authors. Because I think that's a better way to do it. Say, hey, if you're looking for a new book, go over into this this venue. Ironically enough, we do have a forum for indie authors in particular where they can pitch their books on Goodreads. The aforementioned Timothy C. Ward was really good and, and active around looking at those items. And that's one of the things I'm going to be sending to the rest of the team. So everybody has kind of pre, you guys all know this before the team does is that I'm going to send an email out to that forum because people are still actively pitching their books. And as part of our processes, we get new books in via the email. I send those out weekly to the, essentially the review team to look at those and they pick and choose what they want to read based on most often their personal preference yeah. and that's where it's good to have diversity of the different reviewers on the team and but I will send them an email to to make sure that they're hooked into the Goodreads platform and looking at that from for indie authors. So if you're an indie author don't don't despair. Uh, we will get that back re-engaged on the, on the Goodreads uh, site. That does exist, in fact, today. So still go ahead and continue your pitching there. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing I would say, too, about the Facebook, just so I'm clear about what I was saying, because I you know started this off from an indie or self-publishing standpoint, is actually the, the pitch uh, around the book or the promotion around the book was from a big a book that came out from a big five publisher. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, it's no. not, yeah. It's the, not an indie. It's, it's totally not an indie thing. It's, it's, it's just books in general. Um, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's, I, I think it's something that gets attributed to the indie market, but no, it's, it's like, I mean, signal to noise is affecting everybody now. It's like everybody just is trying to figure out how do you get your book in front of somebody? Yeah. And even if you're going to do that, the one thing I'd recommend, so what, what I need to do, Christy, is I need to get my book put together quickly and get the, you know, get it sold. And then what you and I can do is a swap. So <laughs> what I will do is I will find every book list that's out there and I'll say, hey, you got a new release this week. Have you seen this book, Owl? And it's coming from <laughs> me as opposed to coming from you. Yeah, there we go. So see, it's not coming directly from the author, and then I'll give you my book, and then you can and go. And then I'll do, do the same, yeah. Yes, little quid, little quid pro quo. So I would encourage at the worst case scenario, everybody work on a buddy system. Yeah, yeah. and But totally, like, I mean, for, for authors out there listening to the show, definitely um, let us know. You know, if, you, if you're indie and you've got a book coming out, you know, don't be afraid to, uh, to let us know on Goodreads or let us know through the uh, account website, because... The indie market is big now, so we want to make sure all of our authors who are, and all of our aspiring authors who are listening in are, we, we, we want to make sure that we get the right platform out there for people yep. to talk about their books. If folks go and look at the weekly new release list, it expressly says in every single post, if you're an indie or self-published author, send us an email, we'll include you on the list. 
Yeah. We're not excluding anybody. Basically, those lists are made up of everybody who has gotten to word to us in the right way. Yeah. That that's essentially it. Any other thoughts on the the self promotion and how just best to get in touch with us? It's totally not that we don't want to hear from people. It's it's just trying to figure out how to how to get people's books, the information about people's books out the best way. Yeah, and we're trying to turn some things around too from the standpoint yeah. of getting I mean, you and me getting our bearing on on the show and making sure that uh, we're addressing things. And you and I have kind of different strengths and weaknesses from our predecessors too. So some of, the, <laughs> some of those things that they set up, I'm like, oh, I'll be honest. I'm trying to figure this Goodreads thing out because I'm, yeah. I'm not on it all the time. So that's that's one thing where I, I – but I understand Twitter. I get Twitter. So I'm out on Twitter all the time. So it's, it's uh, relative strength and, and weakness. So – be patient with this, folks. If you're one of those individuals that put something on Goodreads, please, we ask for your patience in that regard. Well, uh, another area where, boy, uh, we didn't necessarily see some patience exhibited and was was quite interesting this week was some additional Hugo Awards kerfuffle on File 770. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to finally go out and read that whole string? I, I read, so I read the part that was posted. Uh, so I, I read the bulk of the message. I didn't go into the comments. Okay. Uh, but I, I read, but I, I read the message. So the message is like, I mean, what was posted itself was not actually bad. I think it's just the concept of what was posted and I, I guess issues of privacy. Yeah. And just so we give folks context or everyone context here is over at file 770. Uh, it was like May 2nd, I believe. Juliet Wade, who was at one point on the Sad Puppy slate and then asked to have herself removed. And as you recall, when Christy and I interviewed Larry and Brad uh, about the Sad Puppy's effort, they had mentioned that some, or we asked actually, uh, about some individuals. We didn't ask by name, but we asked about this discussion of folks requesting that they have themselves removed from the slate. And one of those individuals came forward and shared uh, Facebook messaging that had, uh, had occurred. So Juliet Wade had shared Facebook messaging that had occurred between between her and Brad Torgerson. And, and a lot of that had to do with, I think she shared that information feeling like there had been a lot of um, misunderstanding and confusion around what people knew about being on the slate and when they knew about being on the slate and mm -hmm. how they were approached. And I know I've answer, been asked and answered yeah. some of those questions in some different blog venues around what we knew and when we knew it. And to be honest with you, we didn't know a lot and even until we had them on the show. Yeah. And we were still discovering things like that we were on the rabid puppy slate at the point. I had no idea. Yeah, until the nominations came out. Yeah. Or, or several days after the nominations come out, because I'm going to be honest, I don't make it a habit to go out to Vox Day's website. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> just not. He and I are probably aren't aligned in our thinking um, in some things. So she, I'm gathering, felt the need that she needed to clear the air, and she decided to use File 770 as a mechanism to clear the air around what actually transpired 
yeah. with respect to her finding herself on the slate. But yeah. as you mentioned, it certainly generates a lot of discussion, a lot of thought around what's private content yeah. and what's a private exchange. And yeah. was there a line crossed between, you know, what was put on her Facebook messenger between her and Brad and did even Juliet cross the line? That's what you're getting at, right? That's, I guess, because there's nothing inherently, like, I mean, there was nothing wrong in the actual post. You just sort of read it and, um, correct me if I'm wrong or if I missed something, but it, um, it basically was just, you know, we'd like to put you on the slate. No, thank you. I'd prefer it if you remove me from the slate. Okie dokie. Um, and that, that seemed to be just the gist of the, of the messages that she, that she shared. Um, uh, I didn't pick up any underlying, you know, or some any, you know, sort of any underlying other themes that were going on in there. But the, but yeah, I think, so there's nothing, you know, um, controversial about, you know, about the post or, or what she shared or anything like that. But I think, I think you're right. It's like, if you contact, um, if you, if you have a private exchange with somebody on, you know, messenger or, you know, Facebook messenger or, you know, um, you know, chatting conversations, emails, things like that, at what point, you know, does it become inappropriate to share those conversations and at which point are they considered private i don't know if i necessarily know the answer to that like something like messenger i would just kind of assume is more is considered more of a private conversation emails maybe especially if they're to like a business account or something or from a business account yeah. um like for example if somebody were to get an email from adventures in sci-fi publishing you know and then share that well it's 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 a business email so or you know our uh the show's email so it it's you know, it's got that business public persona about it. But but what about things like Facebook or um, private Twitter messages or, you know, um, a con- you know, it's like or a conversation you share with somebody at, you know, at a pub or something um, at a convention. Yeah. So it's I, I, I don't necessarily even think that that um, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that Ju- Juliet's done anything wrong or, or anything like that. Um, I guess it's just the question about where does sharing that kind of, you know, uh, what kinds of information or what kinds of conversations and platforms are inappropriate or appropriate to share and which are kind of a gray area. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of thoughts I have there. The first of which, and, and you and I don't challenge our guests a whole lot, right? Because it's safe haven. But I think that, and we welcome them and we want them to basically express their opinions. And if we have a dissenting point of view, we'll bring on a dissenting point of view from a different guest generally. The, yeah. the, the one thing I will say, so this is my, this is my uh, euphemistic way of saying, uh, challenging you. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm being challenged. <laughs> Was that not so much challenging you. The one thing I did pick up on the file 770 exchange, it wasn't so much the second part of the exchange between Brad and Juliet around, I want to be removed from the slate. I think that was so much in question. I think what's in question was how Brad and what Juliet was trying to express was the first part of the conversation where he said, and I, you know, I don't have it right in front of me. But the gist of it was what I took out of it, or the gist of it was Brad, the way Brad approached it was, well, Juliet, I would like to uh, recommend you for a Hugo Award. I'd like yeah. to put you on a recommendation. You know, I'd, I'd like to recommend you. Not in, I think what she was trying to characterize was she didn't appreciate in that she felt like she was being 
uh, there was a little bit of misdirection in Hmm. the way he expressed that because if he had said, hey, Juliet, I want to put you on a slate, she would have said no. Well, she, so the way she internalized that or what I picked up from that was, well, sure, if you want to wreck it, it'd be like you and, you know, we're talking and I came to you and I said, hey, Christy, I'm going to tweet out some people I think are worthy of being on the, the Hugo ballot and I, I want to tweet that out about Owl. I, I think Owl should be on the Hugo ballot for next year. And you'd probably say to me, that's wonderful. Thanks for doing it, right? And I think that was the conversation. Yeah. And then her, his recommendation manifested into something entirely different than what she thought it was going to look like. Which, yes. you know, she could have clarified based on, I don't know what she knew when she knew it, but, or if she knew Brad was in lockstep with Larry on some things or taking over for Larry at that point, or maybe she had no idea Larry, Brad was involved with Larry. But I think it was this notion that she felt like she was being misled. And yeah. I think that's the part where there's more of the contention as, as opposed to the second part. And so yeah. you, you and I'll link to that so people can go and see and uh, discern that. You know, they can discern what they want out of that exchange. Yeah. Um, but that was where I was getting. And part of that gets to me uh, reading through her comments later, too, because she does add more color uh, yes. in some comments that she provides. The The other thing that you bring up is this crossing the line between a couple things came to mind as we were talking about privacy. And so one of the things I end up doing, I end up communicating and training folks on social media as part of my day job. And the first thing that comes to mind is there are certain components of social media like email we expect to still be private. However, it's foolhardy to think that, and we basically train that whatever you share on social media, you might as well assume it's public. Yes. Because you can't control the behavior of others. Yes. And it's getting to the point email's almost that bad. Yes. I, I mean, you look at the Sony uh, hacking scandal and the emails that were released from Sony yes. based on the hackers. And, and there was a lot that was made put into the public domain from that uh, that hacking effort. It's almost anything you digitize, you can almost expect in the wild, expect in the wild right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I and I, I think that's true. Like, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I actually, I found, I managed to find it again. So the file seventy seven, um, or file seven seven seventy, um, I found the post again. And yeah, no, I think no, you're right. The second part of that is, um, no, I, I think you characterize it characterize it correctly. Like, it's not like anybody said anything horrible to anybody, or or you know, it's it's some kind of scandal. It's just it's it's her account of uh, it's just her account of her you know, exchange with, uh, with Brad. And no, I think you're right. I, I think she does, um, express that in the second part about, you know, being concerned about the sad puppies, um, sad puppies things. So, but, um, but yeah, I, I guess it's almost, and I, I was actually, I was at a reading last night, um, uh, the Vancouver public library and, um, we, a, a few of us afterwards were talking and, uh, social media comes up and, you know, I, I sort of picked up my phone and I'm like, you know, at this point, almost anything, if you're in public, you almost have to assume that you could be, um, you could be on, on camera. And I, I opened up, um, you know, Periscope. Yes. Uh, I, it, it Periscope, for those of you who don't know, um, <laughs> it's, it's basically, it's, a, it's attached to Twitter. It's, it's owned by Twitter, isn't it? It is. 
Yeah, so it's all my Twitter, and it's basically you can press a button on your phone um, in this app, and it will start live broadcasting um, audio and video uh, from your phone, and um, it'll tweet it out so that anybody following you can um, then log on and watch it or go back later and watch it archived. Um, so it's on your phone. You could be standing, somebody, so you, you think about it, you know, sort of in, 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 um, uh, in our society, which loves an undercover kind of, you know, candid uh, scandal. And uh, you could have anybody with their phone out periscoping at any time and just not mention it because they've got their phone up. How would you know that, you know, you're not, uh, not, not to, you know, um, not, not to stir up anybody's paranoia or latent paranoia, but you, you kind of have to assume that you're out, that if you're out of your house, you can expect that anything you say could potentially, you know, end up, you know, or write on Twitter or, you know, on Messenger or Facebook or anything could end up out there. But I, I guess it's sort of, you know, I, I, I guess I think you're right. I think you kind of have to assume that um, anything you write can, you know, be a screenshot or shared or, you know, but the question I guess is, is that I'm sort of getting at is, is it right or is yes. it ethical to be doing that? Or are we just falling into this pattern of assuming, well, somebody's going to do it and I can't stop you from doing it. So we just have to kind of assume that that's, we just kind of have to accept the fact that that's where, you know, social media and privacy are going. And, and so, yeah, it's, you know, um, whether or not it's happening, absolutely. But, um, you know, whether or not it's right or wrong, I guess, is the other thing. So I don't yeah. know the answer to that. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, too. And I and that norm could be changing. Yeah. Right? So I on a personal level, I would have never shared that exchange. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's just me. Yeah. And I mean, there are things and I've I've said I've said this to you privately. I'll, I'll be relatively transparent here is, you know, you and I Facebook message back and forth and you're you're a good egg. Uh, you don't say anything bad, but, no. but me, on the other hand, I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm a horrible individual, and people just need to know that. And so there are things I say to Christy on Facebook Messenger that I hope never see the light of day. If she really wanted to hold you know, my feet to the fire, she could just publish a lot of my Facebook messaging posts to her. That's and- not true. They're not that bad. They are not that bad. <laughs> Uh, I, I say we're equally bad on that front. <laughs> I'm just trying to prop you up a little bit. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of some things that uh, aren't bad but good, tied to some other awards, or the Locus Award finalists were announced this week, and I'm kind of excited about this list. I mean, you know, if folks are upset about the the Hugo Awards and the finalist list with respect to some of the books. I mean, you find some similarities there with with Ancillary Soar and the Three-Body Problem, who have, both of those works have made the, the finalist ballot for the Hugos. And then yep. you have some others that didn't make the list that a lot of individuals thought should have. Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy made the... Uh, the made, Locus. Made the Locus ballot. Yep. What I'm personally excited about is we've had some relatively recent guests that are prominent on the list. Uh, Elizabeth Bear, who shouldn't surprise anybody, uh, she has you know a not she's in the novel category. She's in about three different categories, which is fabulous. And Bear, I consider in some regards a mentor for my my VP experience. She's a great teacher. But somebody else I'm really excited to to see on here is 
Jennifer Marie uh, Brissett and for Elysium, who I interviewed last year. And that book goes all the way back to when I was at, I was at Worldcon in San Antonio and Jamie Todd Rubin introduced me to her and said, Brent, you need to talk to her about her debut novel when it gets published. And so I filed that email away and I held on to it and I'd been stalking Jennifer for like <laughs> two years. The novel kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So then finally, once it seemed like the, the publication date were, was getting firmed up, I finally reached out to her and she... She was flabbergasted. She couldn't believe that I had remembered after all that time. I said, when Jamie Todd Rubin tells me that I need to watch out for you, I'm watching out for you. So mm -hmm. um, I'm excited to see her on the list because that book I thought was fabulous. And she's had quite the run. So I'm very excited for her. Anything stand out to you about the list? The three body problem is um, is the one that I'm I'm actually excited to see on there, and I'm, I'm excited it's on the Hugo um, the Hugo ballot now too. But um, uh, I'm I'm reading it right now as part of um, a book club podcast actually that I was invited to go on as a, I guess the writer component, and it's a great book. It was on my list, but I would never have put it. Um, I, I actually would not have had it on. Um, I wouldn't have been reading it now. I probably would have shunted it back for another couple of months. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Um, the other one that I keep seeing, and I think I'm going to have to put it on my read list now is, um, it's the gob, it's the goblin emperor that's on that list now. And mm. fantasy. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's so, on the Hugo list as well. And I forgot to mention that. Yeah. I neglected yeah. to mention that. It's on both. It's a, like the three body problem. It's on both those lists. So I'm, I'm actually curious to read that one. Um, I, I keep seeing it and I sort of, um, I, I think I looked up a couple of reviews and, and then I, I, I keep seeing it again. So I, I think I'm going to give that one a shot and people can see that on my read playlist. Awesome. The Goblin Emperor's on your... Uh, read playlist upcoming. I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it on my read playlist right now. I'm oh. uh, for any for anybody following that. It's um, my my little read playlist that I do. Uh, my my attempted my attempt at weekly updates. I'm working through Patrick Rothfuss's um, or Rothfuss's. I probably pronounced it wrong, and I'm very sorry for all of his fans out there. But um, <laughs> I so I'm I'm reading The Name of the Wind, and I got a signed copy of that book at PAX last year. Uh, so, and so because, you know, he, uh, he's often at the Penny Arcade convention and I also did manage to get tickets for this year as well. So, and they sold out in about, um, I think like 54 minutes, they were all wow. gone. Yeah. Like noon, they were released and then they were gone. Um, so, but, uh, but Patrick Rothfuss is, is there every year and he signs books. So I've been reading The Name of the Wind. It is a really good book, mm -hmm. but it's taking me a year to read it and I don't know why and so I'm trying to force myself to get this book read faster I don't know if it's the type whether because it's more of an epic fantasy or if it's just um, you know the style of writing it's good I enjoy every single moment that I open up that book but I tend to just read a chapter and then put it back down so it's just it's, it's one of those weird oddities I tend to be a person who devours books and this is not one of those I I had maybe not quite the same experience with those books although very similar maybe not quite that length of setting it down but I had that same experience with the the night circus and the the author's names escaping me now and yes, there, Aaron uh, Morgenstern. Yeah, I've got yeah. it. I've got the library copy that I just took out on my coffee table. Yeah, Aaron uh, Morgenstern. Yeah. I had the same experience with that book where 
The prose is done in such a style, I would relate it to certain meals that you would yes. eat where you really just want to savor it. Yeah. And I don't, the prose is done in such a way that I just want to savor the, the story and savor the prose. Like I'm having such a good time, like twirling the words in my brain that I don't want to finish the book. Yeah. And that's how that's how I was with the with the Night Circus. I yeah. just didn't want that book to end. Uh just because I was enjoying just chewing on the words. <laughs> it's like yeah. you want me to chew each word 20 times before I swallow. I'm okay with that. I'm not quite as bad with uh Rothfuss's uh King, you know, King's it's King Killers, right? Yeah. Uh books. I'm not quite as bad, but almost there. So I could understand how it's taking you some time to get through those, even if you're enjoying it. What's the other What's the other thing? Oh, the other new thing that happened to me, I got a library card, finally. My friend marched me into the Vancouver Downtown Public Library, and uh, I now have a library card, and I'm taking out books, and this is awesome. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't get a library card sooner, because I read, like I, I, I tend to devour books. Um, I think it was just, I didn't think they were going to give me one. Maybe it's the latent student in me from like grad school days where it's like, oh no, we don't give you people, you know, library cards. You're up on campus or something. So, but no, it was really easy. They gave me the library card and and, and it was awesome. The miracle. And now they give me books. And they give you books. Wonder what, what a wonderful place, the library. <laughs> <laughs> Crack me up. Yeah. Oh, so are, we're wrapping up too, aren't we? Is that all? Yeah. We have to, is that all we have to share for tonight? No, we got one more. We got oh, one more. So, oh, you you like want it? Big, oh, big, big news. oh, you want to talk about something else? Yes. No, yes. we don't want to talk about that. Yes, we do. No, you don't. Yes. Oh. Um, oh. All right. <laughs> since you're so excited about it, can you talk about it. All right. So, <laughs> video games. Um, you know, as as much as Brenton is making fun of me here sort of hinting that I want to do more video game stuff on the show and, um, you know, story in video games. And I want to talk about that kind of stuff. And um, so putting my money where my mouth is, um, I have been trying to arrange a pair of guests um, for the show and um, who, in my mind, are superstars in the video game writing world. They are two of the people behind the writing and editing of Mass Effect and Dragon Age, and uh, they're going to be, they, they got the okay, we, we got the go-ahead, they are going to be coming on the show in the near future, Karen and Patrick Weeks. I am so, so, so excited about this. It's going to be awesome. We get to talk to them about Mass Effect and Bioware games and, and, and Dragon Age. And, and uh, Patrick's also a writer as well. So he's got um, The Prophecy Con is the book that uh, people have been seeing me reading and talking about on my play read list. And, um, yeah, so he's, he's the author of that as well. So we're going to be talking to them about writing in video games, but also uh, crossover writing stuff. So, um, you know, Patrick also, he's got his own series, but he's also done um, – fiction, so novels for the Mass Effect universe. So I think uh, I, I think it's grand time that we had these guys on the show. So they're coming up in the next few few weeks, next month or so. Perfect foray into our desire to start exploring video games as stories. So yeah. very appreciative. Even if I don't understand it, doesn't mean, <laughs> doesn't mean I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> um, and, and it's fun to watch you squee like this. So it's, uh, 
I, I'm excited and, and thankful that you were able to arrange getting them on the show and uh, and to be able to to have them as kind of our inaugural video game true true video game guest. So that that'll be a yeah. lot of fun, and I'm I'm excited by that. So um, I can't wait. So all right, anything else that uh, now now that I allowed you to squeeze, I was I I was going to tease you a little bit that, and try and close the show without. Allowing yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Any anything else you want to share with uh, with everybody before we before we sign off? No, no, that's it. I'm 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 ecstatic. My my big update was the packs. I'm I'm very ecstatic. I'm going to packs this year, and I managed to wrangle tickets. Yeah, so no, it's uh, and and guests and more shows coming up and and more books so i don't know what about you do you have anything else well the big thing i have and it's probably our inaugural foray into we've talked about three different segments that we're going to branch off and start doing yeah the first of which is getting more involved in video games the other being this suds and science series so this weekend i'm adding at i'm uh actually going to be at the planetary screening on Saturday and I'm looking forward to uh, getting some audio from the director and the astronauts that were involved in the film or one of the astronauts that was involved in the film and um, Hunter and I will give a recap of the documentary as part of that segment but the other thing we're launching starting next Monday is another Northwest boy we've been kind to uh, the Northwest area of uh, uh, the United States and well it's Southwest in Canada is that that region we've had um, some guests on. We're having another Oregon, Washington author on with uh, with Tina Connolly is going to be on the show, and we're going to have a special guest host, a thirteen year old girl named Riley, who's a friend of the program, and she and I are going to interview Tina Connolly this next week about her YA. Uh, novel seriously wicked that's that's re- awesome that's receiving a lot of buzz so riley's crafted about five questions uh i've been going back and forth with tina and tina's ecstatic that she's having somebody that out of her target uh target uh demographic of which i am not yeah uh, but i'm a big fan of tina's and so but tina's excited to have somebody that's uh you know that's supposed to be a target reader of the book uh, getting involved in the show and the program. So we're going to be speaking with her next Monday, and that'll be an upcoming show as well. So that'll be uh, our first foray into the YA book club ideas that we've been kicking about. So um, I'm excited about it as well. Yeah. No, I think it's um, – no, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that show too. Yeah. What, our, what listeners – our listeners, before you and I sign off, I think what folks need to know is I think uh, everybody – on the the team and around the show has been really energized or most everyone's been really energized about what we've been doing. And at this point I could tell you without sharing all the names of who we'll have as guests upcoming, we're actually have shows booked through mid July. Yeah. So um, we are, there will be no shortage of content and, and folks could, should expect a new show every week. So, well with that, uh, I think we're going to, bid you adieu and uh, hope everybody takes care until next time. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, this is Tina Connolly from Toasted Cake, reminding you that podcast nominations are now open for the 10th Annual Parsec Awards. Do you have a favorite podcast? What about a favorite episode from last year? 
a story that really stuck with you, or a roundtable that was particularly insightful. Well, you can bring a little joy into our humdrum lives by nominating your favorites from 2014. You have until May 31st, and the winners will be announced at DragonCon this September in Atlanta. Find all the details at ParsecAwards.com. Thank you for listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward, author of Scavenger Evolution. And, you know, sometimes our listeners don't realize what goes on behind the recording aspect. Uh, our guest today is incredibly gracious and patient. Uh, we have had some incredible technical difficulties. Um, and so as you listen t- to this, just know that our guest is a great guy. And so we appreciate him. <laughs> Our guest today is David Wellington, author of the new zombie epic, Positive. Welcome, David. Hi, Timothy. Good to talk to you again. <laughs> yes. We should just go backwards from uh, where we started. And <laughs> Oh, boy. I have some insider info to David now that I've talked to him a few times. David's new zombie novel, Positive, is awesome. I am a huge zombie fan. I've read a lot. I've been bored by a lot. I've seen mediocre stuff. And this book was very refreshing. The pacing, even though it's almost 500 pages, kept me glued straight to the end. Uh, The character development is excellent. Very subtle, but profound. Uh, He's got a little bit of a twist on the setting and the zombie virus. And so a lot of great things going on in this book, David. Wow, thanks. That sounds like a really good book. Yeah, you should read it sometime. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm really glad you liked it. I know a little bit about your background now. It sounds like you have the definitive answer to the argument of which is better, superheroes or zombies. Right, which is an argument that you and your friend had that I think most people probably haven't worried about too much. Um, But we do have the definitive answer. Marvel Comics actually answered that with uh, Marvel Zombies, which went on for years and years uh, a while back. I I was lucky enough to write one of the issues. I wrote the Iron Man issue for Marvel Zombies Return. And the answer of uh, zombie versus superhero is zombified superhero. Once the superhero gets bitten by a zombie... All bets are off. <laughs> you know, I'm shocked to find out that what Nick Sharps and I argue about in our free time is not the biggest question that our country has to offer. So thank you for answering that. Maybe it was more than just Nick and I that were curious about that. So with zombie books, you've got people that have a stigma against zombies. They think they're boring. So I'd like to talk to you about those readers first. What, what do you think Positive has to offer for those type of readers? Well, people who think zombies are boring, uh, I get it. I do. Zombies are boring. That's what they are. Uh, Zombies are lacking in all the human qualities that would make for a compelling character. They don't have inner lives. They don't have girlfriends. They don't have, you know, children that they worry about. They don't have any desires except eating people. And that is very limiting for a writer. So any good zombie book is really going to be about the survivors. It's about the people who've survived the zombie apocalypse without being turned into zombies themselves and how they survive and, you know, if they survive. Give us a little bit of a background on the the setting for your book and, and your main characters. 
positive takes place 20 years after the outbreak of a zombie plague. It is a world that has been upended by this thing. Um, most of the population is dead. The few survivors live in these sort of walled cities. Uh, they've built walls out of uh, cargo containers around the downtown areas of a given city. And the people who are inside those walls are doing okay. Uh, and our main character, Finn, is actually growing up in New York City that has been pretty much emptied out for 20 years. But he's doing okay. He's relatively safe there. There's, there's food to eat. There's even a little bit of, of electrical power. Uh, unfortunately, in this world you can be infected by a zombie and not know it. You can get the zombie plague, and it can take 20 years for any symptoms to show up. You can have no symptoms at all, and then one day you just turn into a zombie and attack everybody around you. Obviously, people are scared of that, and they go to pretty drastic lengths to control it. So the name positive comes from the idea that if you are potentially infected, not just that, you know, you've been bitten by a zombie, but if you had any contact with someone who was bitten by a zombie, etc., they tattoo a plus sign on your left hand and they kick you out of civilization. So Finn thinks he's being sent to a medical camp in Ohio where he can uh, stay there until he can prove that he's not going to turn into a zombie, which is harder than you might think. But he gets across the bridge into New Jersey and finds that the guy who was supposed to pick him up is dead and his car is on fire. So Finn has to survive the best he can in the wasteland outside of the cities, fending off zombies, dealing with gangs of looters and road pirates, like in Mad Max, and even a, a death cult, and just surviving the best he can. So Finn is a different kind of character. He's not the strongest physically at the beginning and maybe even through to the end what what kind of is different from him than most heroes in in books i had an editor say something that i thought was hilarious but also very true about finn which is that he has a superpower which is decency he's a good guy at heart he grew up in a in a place where people still had a sort of a system of morality and values he knows right from wrong and when he's kicked out into this wasteland where those things don't really exist he has to find ways to survive that don't totally compromise his humanity. And the book is really the story of him trying to hold on to what he believes in, what he thinks is right, in a world where that can get you killed. He meets a very interesting character, Kylie. She was one of my favorites in the book. Uh, I loved her character arc. Introduce us to her. Kylie is it was a really difficult character for me to write because she has a very, very ugly backstory. Kylie is also one of these positives. She, ha she may have been infected, nobody knows. But she kind of comes to a sticky situation very early on after she's kicked out of society. She is kidnapped by a bunch of looters. And I apologize for this term, but it, it's, it's the only way to describe it. She's turned into a sex slave. She is sold into the harem of a, a looter bandit king kind of guy and spends her life in the, in the wasteland working for this man. It's not a good life. And her response has been to cut off all of her emotions. She will not allow herself to feel anything because the only thing she's going to feel is pain. So at the start of the book, she is essentially a zombie. 
you know, she doesn't have the virus necessarily, but she has no human warmth, no, you know, connection to anyone. She just sort of wanders through life doing what she's told. And over the course of the book, that changes, and she starts to come back to life a little bit. And it was really heartbreaking for me to write those early chapters because I knew what she was going to become. And I loved this character. I love all my characters. But her, I just felt so much for, and it was really a struggle to write those chapters. One thing that I love about your style, and it looks like you're doing the same thing in, is it Plague Zone? Is that one of your books? Yeah, that's a that's an online-only book. You can download it from Amazon as a, a Kindle book. So I just started reading that because now I'm a big David Wellington fan, and uh, <laughs> so I've got that book. And it also looks like you're you have short chapters in that as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's my style. One of the fun things about reading a book, and it's, it sounds strange, but I think every reader gets this. One of the fun things about reading a book is the feeling of accomplishment as you go through chapter by chapter and you, you see that you're getting somewhere in the book. And I realized early on that it's like leveling up in a video game. So I've gotten in this habit of doing these very short chapters, each separated by a number, so you can see how far you've progressed through the book. It's fun. You know, it's a little bit of cheating, but I think it works. So another element to your style, which I really liked, is you're not holding back. When I saw that your book was a thick zombie book, I was very excited. I love adventures through the wasteland of the post-apocalypse, and you give us plenty of that, uh, even though it is really only a taste, and you know, you're going to have another book after this, hopefully, where, where we get to explore the country further. But it seems like you aren't afraid to, in that very short chapter, impact us with something profound. So you've got that going on, but then you've also got character arcs that are very subtle as they grow throughout the book. How do you kind of balance those two as you're writing? Not easily. It's tricky. Uh, yeah, I always try to keep a good, strong pace going. I want to keep the reader turning the pages. I want When you get to the end of that chapter, I want you to go, oh my god, I have to find out what happens next. So that's plot, and that is tricky, but it can be done. The really hard part about this book was I knew it was going to be very long. It's the longest book I've ever written. It was actually quite a bit longer before my editor got to it. And I knew that I wanted those character arcs to be spread out over the, the course of the book. So my natural inclination is to just keep things moving, keep it snappy, keep it going. But with those character arcs, I really wanted them to feel natural. I wanted to feel like these are people who are guarded and desperate and who aren't going to change very quickly. But as the book progresses, you see that little by little, they come out of their shells, they grow, they, they change. And that was really tough for me as the sort of fast-paced action writer to slow that down. I hope you know it doesn't slow down the book because the action is still going on, but to let that evolve uh, rather than just telling you Oh, and then this person decided that, you know, life is meaningless, and so they became crazy. To actually have you watch that happen in essentially real time. So have you always been an outliner? Yeah, I, I used to write down these huge outlines uh, in you know on legal pads and everything. I don't do that a lot anymore. Most of it's now in my head. I will, you know, I'll write out a very sketchy outline, and then I'll just stare at it for months and in my head, I'm building up things, you know, branching out from those original bits of outline. But yeah, I, I couldn't show my work if I had to. 
I'd have a couple pages of chicken scratch and, and, and nobody would be able to understand it. In my head, that outline is very clear. I know exactly how many chapters in something's going to happen. I know, you know which character needs to be in what scene long before I start typing. So how do you get past the, the boring aspect of being a writer just staring at an outline? Do you go for a walk while you're doing it or do you really just, do you just sit there? I don't find it boring. It's a mental game for me. And I guess it's just sort of an attitude shift. Yeah, there was a time when I was younger when I was like, oh my God, I've got 300 pages to write. Oh no. Now 300 pages to me is, it's, it's, it's gone by in a flash. I'm always developing things that people in my life have gotten used to the fact that sometimes I'll just stare off into space in the middle of a conversation or at dinner or something because I'm outlining in my head. I want every page of the book to have something cool on it. I want every chapter to be advancing the plot. And so it's not boring to me. It's a constant work that I just get so engaged with. And I often get lost in it. Boring may not be the best word, what I meant, uh, I don't have that kind of self-discipline, I think, is what I'm saying. I, like, I've had to use a timer to make sure that I'm not going off and doing other things uh, while I'm trying to do my writing. So maybe it just means you have really good focus. Maybe, and maybe your way is better. I don't know. No. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of distractions in my life. I don't have kids. I don't have, you know, a job, a day job to do. So I can just spend entire days thinking about a page of a book. I know most people that's just not possible. And I, I talk to so many people who want to write a book and they just say they don't have time. And I get it. Life is full of distractions. Timothy, you've written a novel. You know, you know what it takes. You force yourself sometimes. You make yourself do it. Yeah. You like to do a lot of research for your novels before you start writing. What are some interesting aspects of research that you did for Positive that we didn't actually get to read in the book? The whole virology, the epidemiology, the whatever you want to call it, of the zombie disease is very well fleshed out in my head. It is a prion disease, which is the organism that is responsible for mad cow disease. Uh, in humans, it is called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, and it is nasty. Uh, it is this thing that gets in your head and it drills little holes in your brain. Lots and lots and lots of little tiny holes over time. And it can be in your head for 20 years and you never know it, but bits of you are being eaten away by this thing all the time. That is scary. That is some scary stuff. And I really wanted to put that in the book. It doesn't work in the book. The people in the book don't know anything about that. They, they've been living with it for 20 years, but so much knowledge has been lost in the sort of apocalypse that... They don't know what a prion is. They barely understand the concept of a virus. So Finn and the other characters in the book never use the word prion. It is central to their existence, but they don't even know how it works. It's just a disease, and you know they're, they're scared by it, but they have no idea how to fight it. Have you researched uh, what would happen to society after a zombie apocalypse were to happen, how long things, because this book takes place 20 years after the zombie apocalypse. Uh, what kind of research stuff did you find that was cool about that? That sort of thing is fascinating to me, and I could read about it all day. Oh, my goodness. So my first published book was a zombie book. It was called Monster Island, and I wrote two sequels to it, Monster Nation and Monster Planet. 
shortly after I finished writing Monster Planet, a really wonderful book came out called The World Without Us by Alan Wiseman. And Alan Wiseman actually went to scientists, he went to engineers, architects, and so on, and he said, what would happen if every human being on the Earth just disappeared tomorrow? And it turns out I got almost everything wrong. <laughs> but it was fascinating. It was just so fascinating to learn about this. The, the, in my first book, uh, The Survivors Hide in the Subway Tunnels under, Underneath New York City, and I thought that was a great place to hide. You know, you're safe from the zombies down there. Nope. It turns out that if people just disappeared, or if we stopped maintaining the subway system, in two days it would flood with seawater. Uh, in two days, the whole subway system of New York City would just be gone. What is even more interesting to me is the stuff that lasts. Uh, it's fascinating to learn that, say, a uh, big suspension bridge, in the book I assumed it would just collapse uh, if it wasn't constantly maintained. That's not true. The supports and the cables and everything would last quite a long time, maybe even 100 years. It's the concrete roadway of the bridge that would collapse. So the road would just fall into the water, but you'd still have these giant spans of suspension cables standing upright. The funniest, perhaps, thing for me was learning how long different materials last. Steel buildings will not last very long if they're not constantly maintained, maybe a decade or two. Bronze statues, strangely enough, will last for 10,000 years before they eventually decay. But the thing that lasts the longest, well, the thing that lasts the longest is plastic, unfortunately, and we're going to have to deal with that in the future, even if you know there is no apocalypse. But the thing that got me was that stainless steel essentially lasts forever. And I had this great vision of 100 years from now, after some kind of apocalypse, People would be digging up stainless steel butter knives out of the ground, and those would be like you know the most powerful weapons because you know they don't rust and they don't break. So yes, the, your stainless steel cutlery in your kitchen drawer is is, is the one thing that's going to last after the apocalypse. What about computers? Would computers last very long? Well, computers are pretty fragile, and so they'd probably get broken. But the real problem is they need electricity, and power plants will not last very long. Um, yeah, even nuclear power plants, which actually would be some of the safest power plants left after an apocalypse, need constant maintenance and someone you know monitoring the control board. You know, once the electricity goes, computers are just gone, and we will lose so much. There are librarians who are really trying to hold on to microfish and microfilm records, but a lot of those are just gone, and books don't last. So many books from the 19th century have just rotted away. I think something like 40% of the books in the, in the Library of Congress can't be read because they used high-acid paper in the 19th century, and those just decay. You know, we use acid-free paper now, which is great, but paper gets wet, paper burns, you know, books would be gone. So everything that we have that we now keep on computers which is entirely dependent on electricity, it would be lost. And, you know, we would be thrown back into a new dark age, pretty much. So now that I'm a huge fan of David Wellington, what should I read next after I've read Positive? Depends on what you like. I have written a lot of books. Um, I've been doing this for 10 years now. And I've put out 17 novels. They are very different. So I have a thriller series for people who like who don't like supernatural stuff. I have a, a fun thriller series starting with Chimera. 
I have my original zombie series, which I love and is so much fun, but is kind of crazy. And I look back at it now, and I just, I, half the time I don't know what I was thinking. It is a bizarre story, really. It starts out with a bunch of uh, schoolgirls from Somalia attacking in New York that's full of zombies. And it gets pretty crazy from there. So if you were just looking for an anarchic, fun ride, Monster Island is a great book. But I think the one I'd recommend the most is uh, it's called 13 Bullets. It's my vampire book. It is not about sparkly vampires. It's very gruesome. But it is a wonderful, rich story about a Pennsylvania State Trooper, a highway patrol woman, and how she learns how to fight vampires. And I, I'm really proud of those books. Uh, then I have my werewolf books, Frostbite and Overwinter. Uh, there's just two of them. But they contain some of my, my I, what I think of as my most beautiful writing. It's very lyrical and, and sort of dreamlike at points. I heard that you have a contest or did a contest. Is it over at this point? It is just about to end. Uh, we are down to three finalists, all of whom are amazing people. So let me tell you a little bit about it. So it's called David Wellington's Fear Project. And it's davidwellingtonsfearproject.com. All one word, no apostrophe. It is something I started just because I, I, I thought it was a cool idea, honestly. This was a year ago, maybe, and I was watching a bunch of reality shows on television. I was watching shows about tattoo artists and makeup artists and you know people who design uh, puppets for movies. All these incredibly creative people, and they had this incredible opportunity to go on TV and show the world what they could do. And I was talking to a friend of mine about it, and I said, well, what about writers? <laughs> you know, writers don't get this opportunity. Uh, you know, there's so many creative, just talented people just toiling away at writing, and there's no TV show for them. I don't have the ability to make a TV show. It is not in my skill set. But what I could do is set up something online. So basically, every week, I give my writers a challenge you know, one was uh, describe an antagonist. They're always very sort of abstract and, and open-ended because I want to see the creativity. And then I started out with 13 authors who each contributed an entry for that. One of them got eliminated each week. We're down to the top three, or the top four at the moment. It's top three tomorrow night. And they are so good. They are so just smart and clever in these challenges. I have been throwing crazy things at them. One of the challenge, challenges was I, I just had a, a creepy picture of a woman in a, in, a, in a white mask. And I said, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, you have 300. Go write something. They came back with awesome little stories about this woman in this white mask. I, I was amazed. The level of the talent is great. And I've come to know these authors a little bit through the course of the contest and they're just terrific people i'm loving doing it it is a huge huge expenditure of time and money on my part and i did not know how much my time i was going to take when i started it but i have just been loving it it's been so much fun well i am also excited to see that you have a sequel going for positive and uh i was hoping that the title was going to be negative oh my god you guessed it yes <laughs> 
<laughs> I suppose it kind of follows, doesn't it? Yeah, the title that I have in mind is negative. We'll see if my editors let me use that. Positive is a great title. You know, it refers to being uh, positive for this virus, but it also, you know, it's an upbeat word, which is always good. Believe it or not, I was inspired by David Lee Roth. Uh, I heard him on the radio at one point, and he was talking about the song Jump, which, not my favorite song in the world, but whatever, he said, Jump, yeah, a one-word positive title, you can't go wrong. And so years later, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, positive. (laughs) You can't get more positive than that. Uh, Negative is going to be trickier. I have to convince my editor that you can uh, have a book called Negative and that people won't be turned off by it. But it makes so much sense for the story. It makes so much sense for, you know, following up on positive that I got to use it. Well, I mean, if positive is the idea of, you know, this twist that you put on the zombie genre of the incubation period taking 20 years, I'm really excited to see what twist negative would put on the sequel. Me too. Yeah. I got to write that. Yeah, you should figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've got a full outline for a negative. I'm ready to start working on it. Um, I'm taking like literally a couple days off of writing right now, like two or three days between books, and then I've got to get right back into it. So what's the next book that we should see from you then? Well, uh, in fact, I think the next book has already been written. It's already been edited. It's going to come out. I don't know when, but it'll come out hopefully this year. It's called The Cyclops Initiative, and it is a thriller story. It is about a spy who was actually a veteran of the Afghanistan war who has one arm. Uh, He lost an arm in in the war, and they've given him a prosthetic, which is it's not some fancy robot arm. It's just, you know the best arm they can give him and his name is Jim Chapel, and he's the hero of my thriller trilogy. This is the third book in the trilogy is the Cyclops initiative. The first one's called Chimera. This one is about drones and robots and how they are the future of warfare, but also just how terrifying they can be. So I was looking at your Amazon page and saw these thriller books and it looks like you've got some novellas, uh, some 99 cent stories How do those weave together with the timeline? Is it all one character? Yes, those are about Jim Chappell as well. They're called uh, Minotaur and then Myrmidon. And they are two pieces that my publisher asked me to write to help promote the books. They are turned out to be, you know, I can't seem to just write something quick and easy. I ended up putting an entire new book together. So essentially there will be four total books in the series because those two novellas are actually, uh, they tie together. The second one starts almost immediately after the first one ends and together they form a complete novel. You know, they are online only. They're never going to be printed out in paper book form, but uh, anybody who liked the Jim Chapel series should definitely check those out. So they are side by side. How does the timeline work? They would have to take place after the first book, Chimera, but before the second book, which is called The Hydro Protocol. Has your editor said that you need to have them released by a certain time to kind of keep the flow going? They're out now. They're available for sale. They were to promote the first book, and so they don't get a lot of attention now. They're, they're kind of hiding, but they are available. Okay. So for the other two... Is there a timeline that you will need to have those done, or are they trying to get them done by? 
again, I, I don't I don't know when the Cyclops Initiative is coming out yet. We haven't set on a, set a release date yet. Uh, but the first two books are already available: Chimera and the Hydra Protocol. Those are out now. Okay. Is there anything else going on this year that people would want to know about? Uh, any conventions that you're going to or anything? I, uh, let's see, I am going to be at BEA uh, in New York City this year. I'll be signing. I'm also doing a panel. Very good. How can people find you online, David? Oh, gosh. How, you know, how, how can you avoid me online? Uh, yeah, I've got so many websites at this point. Wow. So, uh, davidwellington.net is my personal author webpage. I usually post news there, and you can find information about my latest book. The writing contest I'm doing is called davidwellingtonsfearproject.com, and that will go on for another few weeks, but all the stories that the authors created are going to be there on there permanently. On Twitter, I am at lasttrilobite, and on Facebook, I am David Wellington. Thanks again for sticking through these uh, difficulties, David. Uh, it was great to read you and, and great to meet you. You know, Timothy, this was a lot of fun. I, I have no problem with uh, the fact that we essentially did this three times. Uh, <laughs> it's great because I, I think the questions changed. I was not expecting that. I thought you were going to ask me the same questions each time. So, you know, I love talking about my books. I love talking about myself. Uh, you know, I'm actually, I, I don't have a huge ego personally, I don't think, but you get me started talking about my books and I'll go on forever. So I was happy to do it. I'm, this was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, yes, thank you. All right, folks, go out and check out David Wellington's Positive. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. <laughs>